starting a brand new series, and it's called The Lord's Prayer. Now, most of you have grown up with The Lord's Prayer, right? Right? Um, can you recite it with me? Right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That is not what we're going to be speaking about for the next four weeks. That is the Lord teaching his disciples how to pray. Do you remember the context of this? So what happens is is that the disciples come to Jesus and say, teach us how to pray. And he says, pray like this. Don't pray exactly like this, but here are some, you know, uh, pray God's glory. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it pray for God's will and then and so on, right? What we're going to speak about for the next four weeks is not the Lord teaching us to pray, but we're going to actually walk into the Lord's prayer closet and hear him pray. And it's actually the Lord's prayer. It's his prayer. Interestingly enough, it was for you. I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like this, where you've, you know, walked past a, a room. I get this all the time, right? I'm praying either in my office or my room, and, you know, um, people will come in, and they'll be like, oh, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it's like, because they understand it's like holy ground. It's like special. It's, it's precious. Everyone except my little son, David, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He'll come up, I'll be praying, and he'll jump on my back, and he'll like, you know, and that's awesome. And, uh, and we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about in this series how that's the appropriate response to a child and their father. And this is what we're going to see. We're going to see the father's heart so that you and I can be, we're going to see, and you're going to see that it's holy ground. Jesus is praying, and we're going to jump on his back and say, take me with you. It's going to be awesome. But Before we get to the first part of John chapter 17, that's what we're going to be working on for the next four weeks, I have a confession for you. And it's something I feel ashamed about. So don't look at me funny. All right? So um, we're driving. My family's driving. This this didn't happen seven years ago. This happened last week. And so we're driving. And we're going uh, down um, whatever highway you drive if you're driving to Atlanta. We're driving to Atlanta. It's my daughter's 16th birthday. We want to do something super special. Um, but I'm not down with the $5,000 parties, you know, the Sweet 16 parties. I know that some of you are down with that. I love you guys. Praise God. I wish you would give more here. But it's okay. Um, it's a lot of money to spend on a dress. But okay, okay, that's, that's culture. It's fine. It's cool. I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I'm making some fun of it, but I don't mean to. Okay, so. Here, so I'm going down this trip. All right, erase all of that that I just said. So I'm going down, and we're driving down the highway. And as I'm, as I'm driving down, you have these signs. Anybody see these mega signs, right? They're, they're, it's the billboards. And so I'm driving down. I'm looking at the billboards. And as I'm driving down, a thought strikes me. You should play the Powerball. Because the Powerball was on. It's 403 million. Anybody know what it was? It was 403 million last week. You know why I know? because I went ahead and played it. That's, so now watch this. I, I am completely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So now watch this. Now watch this. I have a philosophy. 
I think I strongly oppose the lottery. This is, let me tell you why I feel so ashamed about this. I strongly oppose the lottery. I, str I think it's a tax on the poor. I think that the poor suffer. This is not, a, this is not, nobody, I've ever, I, you know, you have friends who might have, you know, like, right, if you're in a Puerto Rican neighborhood, they hit the four numbers, you know, they hit the number, and it's like, oh, they won $1,200 or something like that. Let me tell you something, you never heard of somebody in your neighborhood, and maybe there's one person, because we, we, you know, we, we go all around the world with this message, but you've never heard of anybody in your projects or in your tenement who, like, hit the lottery and it's like, wow, I hit a million dollars and I'm out of here. Because it's a, it's a tax on the poor. It really is. And that's why I was ashamed about it. And so um, we, we stopped off at a, at a, what do you call those, rest stops, you know, where like 7-Eleven type deals. And so um, my wife and my son went to the bathroom. I was like, they're in the bathroom. I said, hey, do you guys sell those uh, lottery tickets here? <laughs> and she, you know, she goes, uh, yeah, which, which one would you like to play? Because evidently there's like 10,000 of them. I said, the $403 million one. And it's like, I want to do that one. She goes, you want $1 or $2? I'm telling you, I'm copping here. It's crazy. <laughs> like, I think I'll go with the $2 one because I'm, I'm an addict. And I figure if one is good, $2 is better. So I go and I do it. And so, right, so, so she does it. And I put it in like a brown paper bag. And I put it in my bag. You know, and I bop away. You know how it is, right? And it's like, you know. And so now I'm driving for another, I don't know, 15 hours or so. And I'm thinking about this. But interestingly enough, listen, let, let me tell you what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about how this money is going to fix all of my problems. <laughs> and I'm fantasizing about all the things I'm going to do. And it's starting to consume me. Like it's starting to keep, like it's helping me stay awake as I do this long drive. And I'm starting to find joy and pleasure because if I win this thing, then everything changes. And then, as that happened the next day, and then it happened the next day, and then it happened the next day, my fantasy life was consumed with the hope of what this great gift would bring me. I would find true joy. Every solution would be solved. Every problem would be dealt with. I would be truly happy. Now, that's how I was consumed for three days with the one lottery. You know what the problem is in life, though, is that I don't just do that with the lottery. I do that with everything. If everything just went my way, am I the only one who struggles like this? That if, if the marriage would just get fixed, then happiness, joy, freedom, delight. If I could just stop using, then happiness, joy, freedom, delight. If I could just get my finances right, happiness, joy, freedom, and delight. And yet everything I've ever placed my hope in, in terms of happiness, joy, freedom, and delight that hasn't been Jesus, has only served to crush my soul. Has only served to disappoint me. 
has only served to take from me. Now, if you didn't notice, or you haven't guessed, I did not win the $403 million lottery. But you know what's interesting is I'm open now. The temptation is there. Now, I hope you're not getting distracted with my lottery temptations and sin and all that other stuff, right? I want you to see how when we pursue something for joy, because listen to me, you and I are created for joy. We're created for satisfaction. We're created. It is our lifelong desire for happiness because that's how God created us. But yet God did not create us to have happiness in something that will only take from us. But that God decided that happiness would be found in the only one who would fill us with goodness, joy, delight, and satisfaction. It can only be found in him. And for as long as you and I buy into the lie that the $2 deal will make us happy, that the relationship will make us happy, that the clothes will make us happy, that our reputation will make us happy, that once we get our stuff in order, that will make us happy. When we turn from that and say, oh my, these are just empty promises that will only take from us. It isn't till then, it isn't till then that we'll find joy. God knows. God knows that all of our hearts are wired for joy. He knows that our hearts long for, our hearts desire, our hearts only want joy. He knows that about us. And so he gave us some direction on how to find it. And we find it in the very first five verses of John chapter 17. We find it in a lot more other places, but for sure, it's in John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. So you got to listen. Let me tell you why you got to listen. Because you will spell joy in some way. You will spell joy, F-E-X. You will spell joy, M-O-N-E-Y. You will spell joy. There is some way you are going to spell joy in your life. And if you don't listen to this message, what you'll find is that you placed your ladder of success on a house and you climbed it only to find out it was leaning on the wrong house. You must hear what the scriptures would say. Or what you're going to do is the same mistakes you did in your teens, you're going to do in your 20s. And the same errors that you fell in your 20s, you're going to find in your 30s. The same sins that you committed in your 30s, you're going to duplicate them in your 40s. Because you think you're going to find, have you ever wondered, ladies, have you ever wondered why you keep on dating the same loser with a different name? Has that ever, has that ever dawned on you? Because there's something that you think is happiness. There's something that you think is joy. And you keep on finding the same type of joy. Guys. Do you ever wonder why you keep on pursuing that girl that only breaks your heart? 
Do you ever wonder why about that? It's for the same reason that the girls do. Don't you see? We're all going to pursue joy, whether it's food, money, clothes, whether it's reputation or success, whether, no matter what it is, we're all going to pursue it. And it's all a dead end. It's all going to lead to broken hearts and failed dreams. Jesus says, um, pick me, pick me. I got a better idea. Jesus says, I'll show you a more excellent way where your joy will be truly joy and your life will be truly life and your happiness will be found not in what you can get from God, but found in God. So let's check this, let's check this out together. Can we check it out together? All right, so everybody turn to John chapter 17. We're going to read the first five verses. Now, if you would, please stand at the reading of God's word. Quickly. Jesus has just taught and given, it's, it's called the, the discourse, and so Jesus has just taught and told the disciples about all that's going to happen to him. He's, he's shared with them, right? That's, that's chapter 16. And in chapter 18, the passion begins. He's going to get sold out. He's going to, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow he gets sold down the river. Today, he prays. That's where we're at with this. John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. We'll read it all in a nice, loud voice, like people who are longing for joy. Okay? One, two, three. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This is God's word. Please have a seat. So this is our attempt at joy. And we're tired at lottery tickets that don't catch a number. And we're tired at lovers who don't satisfy. And we're tired with money that once we get, we burn through. We're tired of it. We're tired of it. We want true joy. We want to discover what's real. We see it here. After Jesus said this, this is the, the, the chapter 16 that I just explained to you, that he was talking to his disciples um, um, and explaining to them uh, that the Holy Spirit is going to come and, and that the world will hate them and, and he's the vine and the branches and that they're, okay, so all of that, right? He says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. This is so profound. There's a couple of things. In this passage, we see the Godhead, or as some of you commonly call it or know it as, the Trinity. We see God the, Fa God the Son speaking with God the Father. 
he's sharing with him, and he's saying, glorify me. But notice what the purpose of glory. This is what the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they glorify each other. You know this if you have a great marriage. If you have a great marriage, you live to glorify one another. If you have a great marriage, you don't come in as a taker. Come on, why don't you make me happy? Come on, why don't you satisfy? Come on, why don't you? Listen, I did that for years. It's painful and exhausting. You will never be satisfied that way. But if you have a healthy marriage, if you have a Christ-centered marriage, a, a marriage where Jesus has, listen, where you're not looking to your spouse to cover your shame. You know what I, I mean when I say looking to your spouse to cover your shame, right? Adam and Eve, once they sinned, they used leaves to cover their shame so that no one could see their shame. You and I use spouses to cover our shame. Women, you say it like this, I'm not getting any younger. You want someone to cover your shame because you're getting older and you want to be married. Husbands, you... Um, you uh, find your glory by how your wife responds to you sexually. If she's very pleased with you, then you're a real man. You use her to cover your shame. Brothers, sisters, this is not where joy is found. Jesus, God the Son, speaks to the Father, God the Father. And he says, glorify me for the purpose of me glorifying you. I want to be glorified so that your son may glorify you. For you granted, verse 2, for you granted him authority. You granted, in other words, God, Father, you granted your son Jesus authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is our first secret of joy. Our first secret of joy is that there's absolutely nothing that you've done to earn, to get, to qualify, to be loved by God. You stink, and God draws you to himself. You're terrible, and God draws you to himself. You'll never get it right, and God draws you to himself. This is cause for great joy. The only people who don't like this are people who think that they're moral and good. Only the religious hate this. Because they want something that they can go to God. Because, listen, if God draws you when you have absolutely nothing to bring to him, then you owe him everything. There is nothing that God can't ask you that you can say no to him about because he saved you, not because you're good, but because you're his. So then, listen, 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 listen. If you, go, if you don't get this point, you'll never be happy, especially in Christ. If you don't get this point, then here's what's going to happen. Suffering will happen in life, and you'll go, God, God, why did you fail me? I came and I read your Bible, I went to church services, I prayed every day. What are you doing? You're giving God your resume, and God is saying, no, 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 no. Jesus is saying, no, 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 look, 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 the Father. If you've come to Jesus, it's because the Father, the Father took you on a conveyor belt, carried you, placed you on this conveyor belt in his arms, that you didn't walk one step, and the Father drew you to himself. 
Now, so when bad things happen to me, I'm not going, but God, look at my prayer life, and I'm a pastor, and, and I've been so good. When I was homeless, I had no argument for God because he never owed me anything. Never. I had no argument for him. He didn't owe me. When God took, after three years, after being homeless for two years, and then after three years of having a home, and then being homeless again because Sandy came and took our house for eight months, I had joy. Why? Because I didn't even owe, he didn't even owe me my life. It was easy to have joy. It's just stuff. Thank you for those three years. Woo! Memories I'll never forget. So grateful for, well, why? Because he owes me nothing. He's given me everything. And it's only, you will not find joy if you're constantly putting God in your debt. God, you owe me this marriage. This is why some of you, listen, listen, listen. listen. I'm going to explain to you why some of y'all had, that. you know that 20 years that you can't put down on your resume? Okay, I'm going to explain to you why that went so bad, right? Because you had this concept of God that said, if I do good, God owes me. If I do good, God owes me. It was preached to you from a pulpit. That's the way you read your Bible. That's the way you prayed your prayers. That's the way you, God owes me a good marriage. God owes me, no, 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 no. In my hands, nothing I bring, but to the cross of Calvary I cling. I come with nothing. I have nothing. He gives me everything. It's found in him. I don't deserve it. You do realize that, right? You won't have joy otherwise. This is especially true for those of you who are serving Christ right now. Some of you right now are serving Jesus, and you think that God owes you something more than what you presently have. You'll be miserable. I'm just telling you. It's the, it's the road to misery. You won't, you won't know joy. You won't know happiness. You won't know freedom. You won't know. You'll fall into sin after sin after sin. But if we come to God and going, God, you owe me nothing, then even if I'm a paraplegic, at least I have the breath of life. What's, then, because we start, we start with the glory of God. And once we see him as glorious, where the, the son says, glorify me so that I might glorify you, we get the hint of what real, our real focus is going to be. And when we see that the Father has brought, do you see it? For you granted him authority, you granted Jesus the authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. It's just amazing. Your marriage, you won't know what to do with your marriage. It would be so good. Because you don't deserve a... Uh, the kind of marriage or the kind of finances or the kind of anything. It's just, listen, my, my father in heaven doesn't owe me healthy kids. He doesn't. My father in heaven doesn't owe me a good marriage. He doesn't. But you know what my father in heaven does? He glorifies himself in no matter what marriage I have. Now, I'll be honest with you. I want the kind of glory that that quarterback who just won like five Super Bowls. I want that kind of glory. What's his name again? Anybody know? Tom Brady. Tom Brady. It's terrible when the women scream out, Tom Brady. It's like, so emasculated. Like the women, 
Like the old ladies, the, the older women, right? The grandmothers are going, Tom Brady, come on. Good night. Yeah, right there you go. Yeah, it's a, yeah. Look at that. He even has the shirt on. That's awesome. Right. No, but watch this. That's the kind of glory I want. That's honestly the kind of glory I want. I want the glory that goes three quarters down, you know, like 20-something points behind, right? 25 points behind, and I want to go like this. Don't worry, guys. 23-36-42. And then I want to get the trophy, and I just want to, you know what I want to do? At that moment, I want to go before the whole world, and I just want to say, I just got to say, if it wasn't for Jesus, that's, glorify me, God, so that I might glorify you. Jesus. If it wasn't for Jesus. That's the kind of marriage I want. That's the kind of kids I want. That's the kind of life I want. That's the kind of money I want. I want, that's what I want. Am I alone in this? But what about, what about when, when you're the actress who has her whole career in front of her and the movie studio says, no, 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 you have to do this topless and you have to do this and you have to do this kind of film and you go, no. No, 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 you don't understand. This movie is with Leonardo DiCaprio. You're going to be launched into stardom. This is going to be a great uh, career thing for you. And you go, no, I want to glorify Jesus, and that won't do it. Well, then you lose the position. You never get the money. You never, never get the fame. See, can we glorify God in those moments? And the answer to that question, of course, is no. We don't. We don't want to. Why? Because we have not found our joy in him. We have found it in these other things. Now let's keep going. Verse 3. Now this is eternal life. Now, let's pause for a second. In verse 2, Jesus says, I have given them eternal life because you brought them to me. But that phrase, eternal life, is a really interesting phrase. It's not like life that lasts forever, kind of like a vampire. You know what I mean? Like vampires never die. And so they, they go on and they live uh, for a long time. But that's not eternal life. The eternal life that the Bible is speaking about is life in all its abundance. Does that make sense? So whenever you see eternal life, think super great life. Think super abundant life. Think life filled with joy. Think life filled with contentment and rest in Christ. That's the kind of eternal life that the Bible is speaking about. And you go, but whoa, 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 whoa. I haven't experienced that eternal life. I haven't experienced, because that starts as soon as you come to Christ. To which I go, that's why we're doing this talk. Because you've got something and you don't know it yet. You're the person in the house who uh, they do the remodeling after you die and then find a million dollars in the basement. Like, you don't know what you got. You don't know what you got. It's this eternal life. Now, in verse 3, Jesus explains the eternal life that he meant in verse 2. Does that make sense? It's almost like a parenthesis. He says in verse 3, now, this is eternal life. So he's going to explain the eternal life that he just mentioned. What's eternal life? What's life full of abundance? What's life full of joy where I cry at such a joyful life? That they may know you. Stop. That they may know you. 
Not that we would know each other, but that we would know the Father. Now, this word know is an experiential word. When we say know, like I know two plus two is four, right? We know that, right? That's, that's, that's an intellectual thing. But when the word know we're talking about here is the kind of know that I would say, I know my wife. Do you understand the difference between that? One is cognitive, one is experiential. One I know in my head, the other I have experiences with and my soul is caught up in. I know my wife more than I know any other woman on the planet. That's the kind of know that eternal life begets. That you would know the Father. That he wouldn't be, listen, that God wouldn't be just something that you attach on like a lucky rabbit's foot. That God wouldn't be something that you just kind of uh, uh, glue to your life, sort of like the, the wind catcher on your, on your uh, rearview mirror. No, 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 no. That you would know. That you would be intimate. That there would be a closeness. That, they would be, that you would be eye to eye, mouth to mouth, heart to heart, belly button to belly button with God, that there would be an intimacy. That is eternal life. Now, this is eternal life. What? That they may know you, the only true God. And that's important. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So I only have a, a few minutes, so let me just do this quickly. Your problem is not between, your problem is not between serving God or serving Satan. Your problem is between serving the one true God in Jesus Christ or other gods, little itty-bitty gods. I tell this, if, you, if you're counseling with me and you come to me with an alcohol problem, I say, you don't, you don't have an alcohol problem, you have a worship problem. If you come to me with your marriage problems, I say, you don't have a marriage problem, you have a worship problem. If you come to me with this like issue of like you know like um, overeating or undereating or like binging and purging and all that other stuff, I was like, oh, you don't have a food problem, you have a worship problem. Listen, because it's the difference between the one true God and the gods who you think will make you happy. Now there are a bunch of those gods. What are those gods that you think will make you happy? Well, one of them might be power. You might think that the God of power, and all power is, is recognition and acclaim and influence. That you, that's why when people, like, um, you've seen this, right? Or maybe you've experienced this, where you do something nice to somebody, but they're not grateful to you. You didn't do it for them. You did it for your God, power. And once they recognized you, once they mentioned you, that, this is why we get all better. Any, uh, anybody here go to 12-step meetings? You don't have to raise your hands. I'm just saying. Does anybody here? Yeah, maybe just one or two of you, right? Okay, yeah, okay. So this is why we get so bent out of shape if we've poured into someone, and at the anniversary they, they thank 15 people, but our name's not in it. We're serving a God. Of power. And that's why we're, like, so mad, and we can't believe it. Let me tell you why. Because we serve the God of power. We're not serving the one. We don't know intimacy, belly button to belly button. The one true 
God. Maybe power's not your thing. Maybe you don't want influence. I don't want anybody to recognize me. My wife is like that. I don't want anybody to recognize me. She stays in the background. My wife, bar none, the hardest worker this church has ever known is my wife. She never gets credit for it. She always works in the background. She's worked in finances, children's ministry, multimedia. She's cleaned bathrooms. She's done it all, right? She doesn't struggle with that power thing. Maybe you're like her. Maybe your thing is control. That's your God. And that you don't mind. Listen, I will love you. I will provide for you. I will care for you so long as you do exactly what I want you to do. And the moment that you don't, there will be physical, verbal, and all sorts of violence. Maybe, maybe control is your God. Maybe the reason that you're here right now is because you want Jesus to give you your real God control. Fix her. Fix him. But that might be your God. And that God will only make you miserable. There's only one true God. Only one true God. Maybe, maybe your God is approval. Maybe it's approval. Maybe you just want others to uh, look at you and say, you're beautiful. You're competent. You're excellent. You're worthy. You go, listen, you go, well, my father didn't say it, so let me see if I could find somebody else to say it. Let me tell you something. If you're, listen, listen. And believe me, the voice of experience is, is speaking right now. The last time I had a conversation with my father, just a few months ago, he screamed at the top of his voice for me never to call him again. I do not have a great relationship with my dad. I'd like to say it's, it's, I don't know, it's probably my fault. I don't know how it is, but that exists. Listen to me. Listen to me. I'm 43. If at 43 my father doesn't say that I'm a good guy, then he probably won't say I'm a good guy. Good news, though, I have a father in heaven <laughs> who thinks I'm the best thing since sliced bread. But you see... But you see, if I'm going for the God of approval, I will always want to use someone else to cover my shame and never know, belly button to belly button, never know the one true God. Maybe, maybe, maybe those are your gods. Maybe, maybe it's comfort. Maybe your God is comfort. And you run to comfort. And that's why you're totally, you're totally justified when you click on those sites. You're justified to yourself. You're justified when you buy more than you can afford. When you eat these things that are not healthy for you, even the doctor told you, don't do it. When you consume all of this movies and TV and video because you live for comfort. And you say things like, but I deserve a break. But I just... Listen, you don't know belly button to belly button. The one true God. So let's do this real quick. Jesus then says in verse 4, I have brought you glory on this earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me with the presence with which, um, your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So how do we apply this message, okay? Let's get to application. How do we do this? 
So the big idea for today, I didn't say it before, but I should say it now. The big idea for today is that Jesus' glory is our joy. Jesus' glory is our joy. And that if you don't get that, you will miss out on joy. You will always be chasing your tail when it comes to happiness. You'll never find it. Always running, never resting. Jesus' glory, Jesus's glory is our joy. Um, uh, a guy by the name of John Piper says, we are never more satisfied, uh, God is never more glorified in us than when we are satisfied in him. That's another great way of saying it. We are never more satisfied, we are never more, um, God is never more glorified in us than when we are satisfied in him. Now, how does that work? How does that work? Well, I'm going to give you an exercise. So the first thing is to come to Christ, to know that he's the one true God, that he loves you, that he sacrificed. In just a few hours from this point, he will be... He will be flogged and beaten and, and, and mistreated. He will then be crucified for you. So, what happens tomorrow when you go to church, when you go to work and, and, and you're living your day? What, what, what do you do? Here's what you do. First of all, right now, right here, you go, God, here's the truth about me. I don't want to live for your glory. I want you to live for mine. And I think we start with the confession. Would you just agree that that's where you are? I don't want to live for your glory. I want you to live for mine. And if you would just agree with that and just stand with that and just sit with that and let that break your heart. God, I don't want to live for your glory. I want you to do my bidding. Get her to do whatever I say. Get him to do whatever I say. Get that to do. Get, make my bank account. Whatever it is. Just first confess that. That's the first thing. And then secondly, what we can do is go, but that's shallow and it's never worked. God, would you give me a vision of your glory? And here's how you see it. Me and my father. Remember what I just told you about my father? I just used the gospel to find joy. Did you see how I did that? I do have a father on earth who doesn't care for me. That's okay. I have a father in heaven who loves me so much that he would send his only son to die on the cross for me. You know what that does to my heart? You go, but that's not real to me. I know. That's why we're talking about this. This needs to become real. And if it's not real, we need to preach it. We need to beat this. We need to sing this into our hearts. All we were doing, the singers were doing before this service, is trying to sing the gospel into your soul. It's everything is about you. All, all glory to your name. For wondrous are your ways, in majesty you reign, for you are holy. That should do something to your soul, where you start seeing God as glorious and lifted high and marvelous. Say your marriage. Say your marriage is like, it's, it's, like, it's gone to pot. It's like really bad, right? That's your marriage. Then you can walk down the street. Let me tell you something. And you can walk as you're getting ready to walk into your house. You can go, God, I presently do not have the marriage that I want. And quite frankly, I want you to serve me in serving my gods of control and approval and power and comfort. I want you to serve me in serving those gods. But I want you to know that I know that in the gospel, you talk about your church being your bride. And that in you, I could have a fulfilling marriage that is intimate and touches places in my soul that my wife was never meant to because she's just not God. 
you see? When we start applying the gospel to our lives, we start being overjoyed that the pain that we experience only brings us back to knowing that we need Jesus more. Maybe it's our finances. Perhaps it's our finances. What Finances are tough. You go, you go like this. God, I don't have anything. I don't have a home. And believe me, I've experienced this. I don't have a home to lay my head in. I don't have a dollar in my account. I want to serve you, God. Help me to do it with glorifying you and not making you serve me. And then letting the king of kings go, I sent my son so you could have all riches in glory. That I am going to give you everything that you need to endure this moment. I'm going to give you everything that you need to deal with this temptation, this pain, this hurt, this difficulty, this financial crisis. I am your provision. Green paper is not your provision. I am your provision, and I provide. And whether God provides that in a soup kitchen or he provides that in a five-star restaurant, we go, God, you are very good in your provision because he is. You see, our joy begins when we start seeing that we're to live, not God for our glory, but our lives are for his glory, that Jesus' glory is our joy. So here's what I want you to do as the musicians come up. Um, I have a question that I want you to ask. If you have a piece of paper, just write this down. Okay? Here's the question. How is God glorified in this circumstance? How is God glorified in this circumstance? I want you to ask that in every circumstance of life, in every instance. I don't care if the train is late or the train. You know, have you ever done this where you run for the train and it seems like the, the conductor just waits for you to get like right there and goes, doong, doong. It's like, like, what? Come on, right there. And listen to me. I want you to ask this question. How is, how is God glorified in this situation? And here it is. Here it is. In a situation like that, God is reminding me, God is reminding me that when he, maybe for some of you, when he wakes you up a little bit early, that you should take advantage of that to spend time with him rather than hitting the snooze button. Maybe God is glorifying himself by reminding us that our, our security is not in our jobs, but it's in him. Maybe God is glorifying himself by reminding us that while we can do everything that we want to do to try to have our lives in control, God's in control, and that we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future, you see. How is God glorified in this situation? Maybe your marriage is not going so well. Maybe you fell to sin, right? Whatever your sin is. You can go, God, how can you glorify yourself? Well, number one, you're making me see that my sin won't satisfy this longing in my heart. You're also, you're also helping me to see that in my sin, I'll never find joy, but only more shame to have to cover up. Guys, this, will change, this question will change your life. Love you guys. I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm going to pray for you. But next week, you want to come. This is going to be an amazing series where Jesus teaches us. We just went through the first 
five verses. There's 20-something more verses to go through. We have three more weeks. It's going to be epic. Not only do you want to come, but you also want to invite your friends. Um, so I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll head on our way. Is that okay? Yeah. All right. But remember, here's the big idea for today. Jesus' glory is our joy. And the question we're going to ask this week, we're going to ask, how is God glorified in this situation? Because he will be in every situation. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, your message that speaks to our heart, that drills this truth into our lives. Father, I pray that by your spirit, you would speak deeply into our souls, that you would make us alive in Christ, that Jesus wouldn't just be a part of our lives, but he would be the focus, the joy, the center, the all in all in our lives. And so, Father, we lift up your name. We thank you for this, knowing that whenever we try to find happiness and joy in something other than Jesus, we lose. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for loving us. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.